Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel from the eighth chapter of St. Mark. Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Now Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, and Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and, and after three days to rise again. Now, he said this all quite openly, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And he called the crowd with the disciples, and he said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And we pray with me. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, a lot can happen in 20 years, don't you think? I mean, oh my goodness gracious. I'm sure many of you have been thinking about this, that this week as we have commemorated the 20th anniversary of the tragic events of September 11th, 2001. I, each of us have our own stories. You probably remember where you were back in those days if you were alive. I was sitting in Bible study with a group of Shenandoah Valley pastors um, that Tuesday morning on our separate drives to the study. Each of us, for the most part, had heard the unusual news of, a, of what we thought was a small engine plane crash. You remember that in New York City? So we turned on our old style TV boxes. You remember those things? And, and we sat there mesmerized in the classroom. We were three miles outside of the city. There was no cable TV. So we tuned into the only channel that we could access that morning, sat there for well over an hour as the news began to unfold. It was so surreal. My boys at that time, Carter and Matthew, were five and two. Anna was not yet born. Krista was five months pregnant. We lived in a small three-bedroom house in Winchester, Virginia, and we shared the same bathroom. The favorite place uh, for the boys to play was the Stinky Socks Clubhouse in our backyard uh, that my father-in-law had built just a couple of years before a massive stroke kept him from building things like that. It was a safe haven for them, uh, a place set apart from the world where Carter uh, would read the Magic Treehouse series of books and where Matthew pretended to be a pirate sailing his ship. Life was simple for them. When they had no knowledge or understanding, certainly, of, of evil in this world or of human tragedy that was unfolding, my how things have changed. 
in these 20 years, of course, we've learned so much about things that we'd rather not know about, global terrorism, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, Saddam and Osama, uh, Punjab and, and Baghdad. But these 20 years have also introduced us to some rather interesting things, well, little things like the internet, <laughs> uh, smartphones, GPS, digital cameras, Kindle, Wii, HDTVs, Blu-ray, iPhones, iPods, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, come on, it's hard to imagine life without all of that, don't you think? And yet, all of that has come to us since September 11th, 2001. It's remarkable. But how have we changed? I mean, really, us, you and I, as a people, as a, as a country, as a church, and how have you changed personally as a citizen, as a parent, as a neighbor, as a school teacher, as, as a disciple? Who are we, and, and who do people say that we are? Years ago, when Jesus was roaming this earth, uh, He took His disciples to a most unusual place. It's a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you were, if there was a map behind me, we would see the land of Israel, and Caesarea Philippi would be in that very northern region, north even of the Sea of, of Galilee. It was a really sort of an interesting place for a number of reasons. In large part, even though it was in the land of Israel, it was still a very distinctly Roman city with two particularly interesting features. One, a temple that had been built to, to honor the Roman emperor, and two, a cave a most unusual cave, but a very significant cave that was known round the world, a cave that was thought to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan. Pan was a god of fertility and of all natural woodsy things and places. To the Jews and the early Christians, he represented pagan cultures and all things demonic. Interestingly, in Greek mythology, Pan is the only god to have died. Why does that matter? Well, it's interesting because it's something that was announced by the Greek historian Plutarch during the time of Jesus. The god Pan has died. Well, in the reading that we have just shared, Jesus and his disciples are walking past that cave the birthplace of Pan. It's a cave that had, been, that had never been fully explored, or at least that was sort of local legend. Locals also called it a, a bottomless cave, almost a bottomless pit, therefore Jews called it an entryway. They, they, they claimed that it was the gates to hell. Jesus stopped and began this conversation and what is now the exact midpoint of Mark's gospel. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've been studying Mark's gospel throughout this year. We are literally in the midpoint of Mark's gospel, chapter 8, and within this story, Jesus asks a question that is maybe the most important question that has ever been asked. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? His disciples wrestled for an answer, of course. We've wrestled for an answer for 2,000 years. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ, we say. You're Emmanuel. You're Lord, Son of God, Light of the world. You're the morning star. You're the wonderful counselor, Prince of peace. You're bread of life. You're, you're Lamb of God. Words we've memorized. Words we've turned into oratorios. Words we've framed. Words we've chiseled and, into stone, as we should, to honor this Word made flesh. 
But if you get right down to it, those are other people's words. Jesus asks, yeah, but who do you say that I am? Michael McDaniel was the bishop of the North Carolina Synod and a religion professor at Lenorine who died in 2003. Undoubtedly, many of you knew, knew him. Now, I, I met uh, Dr. McDaniel only twice, but on both occasions, he gave an encouraging speech inviting us uh, and fellow Christians who were there in, in those two occasions, this, these were both occasions at Lenorine, to be extra vigilant, to be extra dutiful and deliberate about being messengers of God's peace and of God's love in this world. He quoted his mom, who told him every day on his way to school, never forget, son, never forget that you are the only Bible some people will ever read. Words that stuck with him in a, in a powerful way. Why? Because our actions matter, as it turns out. Our words matter, don't they? The way we conduct ourselves, it matters. The, the words, the vocabulary, the language, the emotions that we choose, it matters. The deep care that we express towards one another, it matters, especially in the way that it all reveals who Jesus is to us. Preach the gospel at all times, St. Francis famously said, and when necessary, use words. Because who Jesus is should be, must be, right, reflected in your life and in your actions. And that's pretty much what Jesus was getting at, if you think about it, when just after Peter stumbled through with, with what he thought was the perfect answer to, to Jesus' question, Jesus, hardly impressed, he gave a better answer. Jesus gathered all folks together and said this, look, then take up your cross and follow me. So that the world might know who I am, take up your cross and follow me. So that the world might know the power of my love, take up your cross and follow me. So that your neighbor might encounter the power of new life and of new beginnings, take up your cross and follow me. So that your enemy might experience the transformative power of love and of forgiveness, take up your cross and follow me. So that the power of evil in this world might come to know that death and terror does not have the final word, take up your cross and follow me. To do so, Jesus said, you must deny yourself and live for the sake of your neighbor. You must set aside your pride, Jesus says, and walk humbly with your God. You must remove your own deep self-doubt, Jesus said, and confidently believe the message of Psalm 46 that God will be your refuge and strength and ever-present help in the time of trouble, which is precisely what Father Michael Judge desperately wanted to show his fellow firemen on September 11th, 2001. You might remember his story. You see, in the critical moments of that morning, Father Michael entered the North Tower of the World Trade Center building soon after it had been hit. He was a Franciscan friar, but also a chaplain to the New York City Fire Department, which is why he was given permission to enter that fiery and frightening mess, although he saw his role not as a rescuer, but as an anointer. 
And so he positioned himself inside one of the doorways and anointed the head of every firefighter who entered the North Tower lobby with, with oil and with the sign of the cross on their foreheads. Everyone who was running into an unknown death that was reigning all around them. When commanders gave orders to evacuate the building, Father Michael ignored them, refusing to abandon the the hundreds of firefighters who were still caught up, trapped inside. At 9.50 a.m., you might remember, he climbed to the mezzanine level of that building, attempting to reach some of those who had been injured. He prayed for them. He assisted them and even administered last rites to Daniel Sewer, who died in his arms. Soon thereafter... The South Tower collapsed, sending debris flying through the North Tower lobby, killing so many who were inside, including Father Michael. In the image that is known round the world, in the image that I know you have seen, five men carry his lifeless body out of the rubble, and they, and they lay it before the altar of the neighboring St. Peter's Catholic Church where the medical examiner labeled him as victim number one. You see, he had taken up his cross, hadn't he? He had taken up his cross and followed in the path of Jesus for the sake of his neighbor, for the sake of the world. In the face of evil, in the face of terror, death, and destruction, Father Michael provided a most important and powerful message, a response, an answer to the question that Jesus first posed to his disciples 2,000 years earlier. Who does the world think that I am? Let me show them, Michael said. Which is precisely, it seems to me, what Mrs. McDaniel wanted her son to understand every day before he stepped out of the house on his way to school. Never forget, she said. Son, never forget. In what you do today and what you say today, never forget. Yet you are the only Bible some folks will ever read. So the question remains, who do you say? that I am. Look, Jesus is fully aware that we live in a world that is filled with chaos and frustration, a world in which in which evil causes twin towers to fall, children to go to bed without food, a, a world where a pandemic seems just to never want to go away. In this world, in this time and place, in your work and in your play, Who do you say that I am? The world is eager to hear your response. The world needs to hear your response. A response that is most perfectly revealed in the image of Jesus. Who, lest we forget, who facing the power of sin and death, of evil and destruction, a world that crucified him on a cross, a Savior whose response were words of love and comfort and forgiveness. A God who, when placed in a deep, dark tomb, refused to allow death to have the final word, but instead opened his eyes and breathed new life upon us all once again. A God who, in that moment, proclaimed Love is enough. Who do you say 
that I am. Lord God, may our lives be an answer and a response to your grace-filled, your most blessed question. In Jesus' name, amen.